here joining us in our worship center. Also, we wanna, as always, welcome everyone who's online watching right now or maybe sometime uh, later in this week. And before we, we dive into our study of God's word this morning, I have a couple of things I want to mention to you as our Southwinds Faith family here. The first one is to reemphasize what you heard Chris say a few weeks ago, two more weeks until Easter and our very first Easter worship celebration here inside of our, our worship center. We're so excited about that. And there are three services, as you've heard. Let me keep reminding you, 8 o'clock indoors, 9.30 outdoors, 11 o'clock indoors. And we're just making plans. And we really want to encourage you to help us as we, we make those plans. And you can do that in three ways. The first is... Uh, if you can come at 8 o'clock, if that is at all possible, and I know, you know, some of you say, no, it is not possible, but the Bible says all things are possible with God. And so if you can do that, that will probably free up spots at other services. Secondly, if you can help us by completing that brief survey we sent out by email, it's also on our app. If you've lost the email, uh, we just need you to let us know when you plan to come, how many of you are coming, uh, adults and children. That'll help us be better prepared. And then third, invite as many friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, whoever, as you can to join us, whether it's on campus or online, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Second thing I want to share with you is kind of an update in a, in a, in a couple different ways. Last December, we shared that we had an opportunity uh, to refinance uh, our mortgage that could save us around $100,000 a year for the next 10 years. And I'm, I'm so excited to tell you that we are in that process of finalizing that. It's not all completely done, but the scenario we're looking at right now is going to save us about $103,000 in interest every year from the time we start for the next decade. And so we're praising the Lord for that. Amen? God is good and he's provided for our needs in so many ways. But alongside of that, I also want to share with you that so far in 2021, our giving has been kind of down somewhat. And uh, we have been holding expenses uh, to a minimum in every way we possibly can uh, because we want to be faithful with the resources we receive. But I just want to be honest with you to uh, for us to remain as healthy as we can and to be able financially and to be able to serve our community, have the resources to do that uh, needed. You know, Tracy Mountain House, Lathrop, the tens of thousands of people uh, that are in our, our area of ministry that God has called us to, uh, we need to grow in this area of generosity. And so it may be that you're in a place where that's just not possible for you right now, that you can give more, uh, but maybe you are in a place where you can. Um, if you have needs because you're not in a place to give, we wanna help, and I'm just mentioning that now. Let us know, we wanna do what we can. But if you can step forward, if you can practice generosity at a deeper level, or maybe you're just simply behind at what you've been intending uh, to give all along, or maybe God's calling you to step out in faith in this area of your life, uh, I just want to encourage you to hear the voice of the Lord, and I want to encourage you to be part of what God is doing here through Southwinds 
all across this region in which he has, has planted our church. And if you've been around here for a long time, you know I don't, I don't talk about this sort of thing uh, like this very often. And I want you to know we're not in a crisis, but I also don't want us to get in a crisis. And so I'm just letting you know now, and we're trusting God to speak to his people. We're trusting God's people to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us. Amen? Well, we're here to study the word of God. And if you're new to Southwinds, maybe this is your first time, we have been going through a New Testament book called Philippians. We're coming actually toward the end of that study. We'll wrap it up next week. And we're calling this study Joyful. And Philippians is all about how we can live joy-filled lives through the power of Jesus Christ. And so you wanna get your Bibles open to Philippians chapter four. We're gonna be doing verses one through nine. And there's this common expression, it's been around for a while, and people much younger and way cooler than I sometimes like to use it. It says, peace out. And usually it's just kind of a way to say goodbye, see you later, But I think you're gonna see this morning that Philippians 4, one through nine is this series of instructions that the Apostle Paul gives that center around peace. And and Paul wants this Philippian church, these Christ followers in Philippi that he loves so very much to know real peace because he knows you can't be full of joy if you don't have peace. And in these nine verses, as you're going to see, Paul is going to address several problems. All of us face problems like these. These are problems that can keep us uh, from experiencing peace. And I've been telling you throughout this series that, that um, the way we think, Paul says, is so important to our joy. This is a theme all through Philippians, and you're gonna see today and the next Sunday that it gets even more prominent in, in Philippians 4. And we usually, think, we, we usually think that joy is connected to our problems, and sometimes we find ourselves thinking, you know, if God, if God wants me to have more joy, then God should deal with my problems. God should take away my problems. But the Bible tells us that joy is far more about how we think about our problems than whether we have them or not. So what problems are you facing right now? And how are you you thinking about those problems? Today in Philippians four verses one through nine, I want to show you four actions that you can take anytime to to grow a a peace-filled life. And Paul is going to address four very common problems all of us face at one time or another, and he's gonna show us how to think about them, and in doing that, he's gonna show us how to have peace. So we're gonna start with verse one, which is kind of a transitional verse in the letter. It sort of sets the stage, and it lays the foundation for what we're gonna see all the way to the end of this letter. And here's what Paul says. He writes, verse one, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, do not miss how Paul speaks to them. My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Dear friends, do you see how much Paul loves these people? Most scholars think that this is Paul's favorite church. He, he wants to reassure them of his love for them. And I, I wanna say to you, we too today, right now, should feel loved as Christ followers 
when we read these verses. See, what Paul says about them is how Jesus feels about us. And so he says this, he affirms them, and then he gives them this command, and this command is stand firm in the Lord. So he wants them to be stable. He wants them to endure. And if you think about this as kind of a hinge verse, looking back, he's saying stand firm because of what I've just told you, that you're citizens of heaven. You have an eternal home. It's never gonna go away. You can stand firm. And then looking ahead, he says, stand firm and endure because of what I'm about to tell you. So stand firm means stability. Stand firm means peace. And don't miss, don't miss where our power to stand firm comes from. It's that next phrase, in the Lord. Say in the Lord. We don't face our problems and our challenges through our own strength. Our peace and our joy don't come from our own strength, from how long we've followed Christ or how much we know the Bible. Our strength for standing firm is in the Lord. And if you wanna know the theological term for this, Paul's talking about our union with Christ. We are in the Lord. We are in him. He has brought us into his life, his body. We are in Christ. And that reality should give you peace. See, this means, among other things, peace is not up to you. You are in the Lord. He has made you his own. So stand firm. If you, if you kind of scan through this passage, you'll, you'll see that Paul mentions our union with Christ again and again. He says in verse two, be of the same mind in the Lord. He says in verse four, rejoice, how? In the Lord. He says in verse seven, the peace of God is for us in Christ Jesus, same idea. And so the power to persevere, where we find peace and joy, it's all, all in the Lord. So, how do we grow in peace? What actions can we take? Well, here's the first one that we can take, and I want to I characterize it like this. We resolve conflict quickly. So it's hard to experience peace, right? Whenever we're having relational conflict, when we're in conflict with other people, but conflict is, is the reality of life. And so Paul urges us to deal with it quickly, to see conflict in the right perspective. And he's gonna give a specific uh, example for these Philippians. Verses two and three say, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Now, here's what's happening right here. We, we finally get to this issue, and if you've been paying attention, you've sensed it, you've felt it, it's, it's, it's cropped up at a couple places in this letter. Paul's been hinting at it, that there is some kind of disunity in the Philippian church. And Paul is now exposing it. He's, he's putting it up where everybody can see it. And, and we don't know exactly what was going on because we're not told. But the problem is probably not a doctrinal problem. It's probably not about a certain kind of sin problem because if it was, Paul would have corrected it. Paul would have called them to repentance. But he doesn't do that. And so most scholars believe that most likely it was some kind of a personal disagreement about something, you know, the kind of conflict that all of us have from time to time. 
Somehow, some way, these two women, they, they get sideways with each other and it's not getting resolved. And so Paul calls them out. And the shocking thing about this is that Paul specifically calls them out by name. Here's what you need to know. Uh, when this letter that we call Philippians got delivered to this church, they wouldn't have gotten a little book where they could read it. They would have received this letter and experienced this letter, how? In church, while someone read it to everybody. So everyone's there, including Yodi and Syntyche. And everyone's listening eagerly. And they hear, just think about it, they hear Paul's beautiful prayer for them in chapter one. And then they listen to this incredible example of Jesus' humility in chapter two and how his name is gonna be exalted. And then they hear Paul's powerful words about knowing Christ in chapter three and then about how we're all citizens of heaven if we're in Jesus. And it's all joy and it's all rejoicing until chapter four starts. I plead with Yodia. And I plead with Syntyche to be of one mind in the Lord. And it's like, uh-oh. Because he's saying this to real people at a church. And to be honest, it was probably a much smaller group than this. And so everybody's trying not to look at Yodi and Syntyche. And Yodi and Syntyche are trying to figure out a way to kind of vanish from the scene. I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, just imagine what, what it felt like. I mean, Paul is calling out what everybody probably knew was, was going on, like right now in church. It was like Southwest Airline moment, you know? Wanna get away? And Paul identifies these two individuals. He does this because he loves them. He does this because he loves the church, because he knows how essential unity is to the health of a church. And what does he command them to do? Well, uh, some of your versions say to agree in the Lord. The NIV says to be of one mind in the Lord. And what he's calling them to do is to resolve the conflict. And I want to be really clear that, that he's not saying that we have to think the exact same thing about everything. You know, unity is not uniformity. And I think if you pay attention carefully to this, you will see that he is calling them to something greater than uniformity, and that's the gospel. It's because they are in the Lord. It's because, look at that verse again, that they are co-workers in the cause of the gospel that he calls them to come together and resolve their differences. See, Paul is telling them that their unity in Christ is greater than their differences apart from him. Our unity in Christ matters far more than our differences with each other, our opinions about different things. I mean, think about what that says to us right now, 2021. I mean, we are living, you know it, in a time of incredible conflict and division in our culture. And these, these differences are represented right here in the room. Some of you don't know about it. Maybe you're gonna be disturbed to hear about it, but they're right here all around us in the room. All kinds of differences, all kinds of opinions, right or left, blue or red, you know, mask or no mask, Fox News, CNN, white, black, brown, on and on and on. And here's the question, Southwinds. What kind of church are we gonna be? Will we be a family 
of Christ followers who love Jesus and who love each other above all else? Will we contend together side by side in the cause of the gospel or will we get somehow sidetracked by our differences of opinion? Will we think that it is more important for us to to pour out our ideas on social media than to think about the conflict that we ourselves may be inciting. You say, but I'm right. Maybe you are. Maybe you're right. But I have a question for you. Is you being right more important than the gospel? Now, don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should never speak out. Sometimes we need to speak out. But we should always speak out remembering that we are called to be of one mind in the Lord. We should always express our opinions, hold our opinions with the consciousness that whatever our opinions are, the gospel is greater. The cause of Jesus Christ is greater. Now, sometimes resolving a conflict calls for intervention, and you'll kind of see that here. Paul uh, addresses my true companion. We don't really know who this is. It's possible that this is a guy's name. If his name is, if it's a name, his name is Sujugus, and you can just call him Gus for short if you can't say that. But whoever this is, uh, Paul appeals to him. Some people think he might be the pastor of the church, but the Philippians knew what Paul was saying. Paul is just telling the whole church, don't let this conflict continue. Intervene. Help, it matters, unity is important. Now, I wanna be really, really crystal clear. We are not here at Southwinds having a Yodia Syntyche thing going on right now. So, so I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not addressing this because of that, I'm addressing this because this is in God's word and we all need to hear it, whether it's for now or maybe somehow down the road. Maybe you could think of this right now as like a vaccination. I know some of you don't like that, but this is, like, this is like inoculating us. It's getting us ready should it, the, the, need, the need come. But see, the potential for conflict is always there in any congregation. And so let's just remember, let's hold Jesus higher than our opinions. Let's care more about the gospel than about being right. And as we resolve conflicts quickly, whenever they arise, we will grow in our experience of peace. So second way, second way we can grow in peace, and that is to choose joy daily. Listen to verses four and five. Paul says, very familiar words, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Now, about this time you've been studying through Philippians, you might be finding yourself going, how many times is Paul gonna tell us we gotta rejoice? He keeps saying it again and again. Why does Paul have to keep saying it again and again? Answer's real simple. Because we need it. Amen? I mean, do you wake up every day rejoicing in the Lord? I mean, if you say yes, my reflex as a pastor is to say, well, you probably lie about other things, <laughs> too. But we don't always 
wake up rejoicing in the Lord. We need to hear it again and again and again. And so Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord. And there are so many things that, that prevent joy from happening and squeeze the joy out of us. So one of them we're about to see in a couple minutes is anxiety. Anxiety can just crush squeeze out the joy in our souls. And so Paul is encouraging them to rejoice, to choose joy daily. And I wanna ask a question. What leads to daily rejoicing in the Lord? And let's get really clear. It cannot be circumstances, right? Because don't forget, Paul is writing this letter from where? Prison. And so it's not circumstance that leads Paul to say everybody should be happy all the time. It's like, it's like I said just a few moments ago, joy is far more about how we think about our problems, not whether we have problems or not. And, and this is really the crux of the issue because what's, what most of us think is that we'll be happy, we'll know joy when we get what we want. That's what we think. And some of you right now are not rejoicing. Some of you right now, you're actually, just be honest with yourself, you're refusing to rejoice. You may be saying right now, well, you don't know Pastor Mike, but I can't rejoice. And here's the reason why. It's because you're not getting what you want. You have a problem, and God's not taking it away. And, and it may be that you want something good. You may be right. I'm not saying you aren't right to ask God to solve your problem. Ask God for anything. No questions asked. No holds barred. Paul never said, in this case, prison was good in and of itself. But what Paul teaches, and this is the, this is the key to experiencing joy, what the New Testament teaches is that you don't find joy when you get what you desire. You find joy when you realize what you deserve. This is the gospel. The more you grasp the gospel, the more you live in the daily awareness of grace, the more you will be able to choose joy. So here's the thing. When your reference point is hell and God's judgment, then you're always better than you deserve. But when you think that what you desire will make you happy or when you don't get what you desire and that makes you sad, then you will live in this constant instability of, of not having joy and not being happy. But, but when you live regularly with the under, understanding, the conscious awareness, I only deserve judgment. And judgment, that judgment, my judgment has been put on Jesus instead. And my name is in the book of life. When you realize what you deserve and then you see that contrasted with what God has given you, you can choose joy and you can choose it every day. A few years ago, some of you will remember this, 2014, there was a song that kind of took the nation by storm for a while. It was the song Happy by Pharrell Williams. It's a phenomenon, best-selling song of the year. Like it's everywhere. Maybe remembers on the talk shows, the, you know, the, the NCAA at this time of year had players out dancing in the streets to the song. You may not have remembered this, but one state actually wanted to change their state song to this, Happy. You remember the song? 
Can you, can you hear it right now? You know, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. I'm not gonna sing it for you because we're talking about joy right now. But you know, I was thinking about this song. I think Paul would have liked that song. I think he would have changed a few parts. Maybe you remember the song first appeared um, in a movie, Despicable Me Part Two. And it shows up when the villain, whose name is Gru, finds love, and her name is Lucy, and she gives him a little kiss on the cheek. That's when the happy music starts playing, and Gru starts dancing. Why? Well, because a despicable person has found love, and that makes you happy, and that sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? When you realize what you deserve, despicable me, but in spite of that, you see, I have received infinite love and infinite mercy in Jesus. Well, that makes you want to sing your own happy song, doesn't it? That brings joy. And Paul, Paul could say, honestly, I'm in prison. I'm chained to a Roman guard, but I will rejoice because I'm better than I deserve. Rejoice in the Lord. And notice when. Rejoice in the Lord always. And that's the word we hate. (laughs) That's the word that gets us, right? I mean, how do you do that? Well, this doesn't mean that you, you, you know, won't ever have sorrow in your life. It doesn't mean you have to like live in denial and detach yourself from reality as if pain wasn't real. Rather, rather you live more like 2 Corinthians 6.10 as sorrowful yet always rejoicing because that's the Christian life. At times, we are sorrowful. We should be sorrowful, but yet there is always this, this well that goes deep and it's the well of salvation that allows us to rejoice even in the midst of sorrow. And again, do not miss it. Paul keeps bringing us back to this. We rejoice how? In the Lord. That's where it comes from. So Paul is again just just hammering this theme of we are in the Lord. And I just wanna ask you today, I want you to think about this. Give serious contemplation to it. Are you choosing joy daily? Are you realizing what Jesus has has done on your behalf? Is it making you sing a happy song? Now, I'm not going to spend much time in verse 5, but verse 5 just says that when you're rejoicing, you'll have a gentleness that everyone will be able to see. And and I just want to ask some of you, and I want to encourage some of you to feel free to ask some other ones of you. Go ahead, start a conflict over this if you need to. But uh, ask someone, is the reason maybe that you're not so gentle, is the reason maybe that you're harsh sometimes, is the reason maybe that you're so angry, is the reason for that that you are not choosing joy daily. You're not rejoicing in the Lord. Because people who choose joy daily are gentle considerate, reasonable people. Third way we grow in experiencing peace. Pray about every worry 
faithfully. Verses six and seven, this is kind of the heart of this passage. It's the most familiar part of this passage, I think. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, now Paul is addressing this, this problem. It's a huge problem. It's, a, it's kind of a pervasive problem of anxiety and how anxiety can steal our peace. And it's a very complex problem. And I want to start off by saying there is no way in the time we have today to address this really in depth. I've done entire teaching series, many, many weeks on this subject of anxiety. But Paul here is speaking truth that we need to hear today, that we need to respond to today, especially in a time like ours. This is a time of incredible anxiety. I mean, anxiety is kind of a fascinating thing if you study what's out there, the research, a lot of stuff that talks about this. Anxiety has been rising in our culture uh, for some time now, and, and this was true even before 2020 happened and the pandemic hit us. And in 2020, it, it spiked, it went through the roof, and we're still seeing the effects of this. Anxiety about everything, about disease, about death, about the economy, anxiety about racial trauma and racial division. I mean, what are we gonna do about all these things? Before I I tell you what Paul says, I wanna make sure that we know what we're talking about here because I think sometimes we, we misunderstand his words and we misunderstand anxiety. You need to understand that anxiety at its root is simply a response an instinct that we have whenever we face a threat. Anxiety is something given us fundamentally by God to serve a purpose. Maybe you can think of it like this. It's sort of like your brain's alarm system that alerts your body to a, to a potential danger. It's like, you know, if I, I, I see a rattlesnake, which I actually have here at the church, and I start to feel uneasy because of the, the danger and And I'm just thinking right now, some of you are getting anxious because you're thinking there's snakes here at the church. No, that was a long time ago. All I see now are bunnies. So, but that's anxiety, a response to danger. If you hear layoffs are coming in your company or if you hear that COVID is surging again, you might start to feel anxious because of what you think that could mean for your life. And so we need to understand that at the start, anxiety is not bad in and of itself, that it it serves a purpose. And here's why this is very important, especially for some of you. There's no shame in experiencing anxiety. If you're experiencing anxiety, I want you to know You are not alone. I want you to know God is not disappointed with you. I want you to know there is no shame from God for experiencing anxiety. There's no shame from the church or there shouldn't be uh, from experiencing anxiety. There's no shame from your pastors that experience anxiety. I deal with anxiety all the time. And even Paul Do you remember back at the end of chapter two, verse 28, Paul said that he was struggling with anxiety. So anxiety doesn't make you weak, it makes you human. And I want you to maybe reframe anxiety like this. Your anxiety is an opportunity to connect with God and experience his peace. Maybe you should begin seeing it that way. Now, one other thing I I wanna say is that there is a difference between what we're focusing on today and anxiety disorders. And everyone deals with anxiety, but, but some of us deal with anxiety disorders. 
And we don't have time to, again, address that in depth, but, but I want to be clear, what we are going to talk about today doesn't replace the importance of therapy, doesn't replace the importance of the help of mental health professionals. God cares about our mental health. And that's why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words. And I also want to say these words do apply to all of us, even those of us with anxiety disorders. So wherever you uh, are, whoever you are, whatever you deal with in terms of anxiety, you can grow in peace. These words of Paul apply to you. And they're really pretty straightforward. I think you understand them. To, To grow in peace, Paul says, we all need to practice praying about every worry, every anxiety. We need to do this faithfully. Sometimes I like to say we need to replace our anxiety with prayer. See, God is just saying to us, when anxiety comes, take those anxious feelings and channel them towards me, to me in prayer. So whatever it is that you are prone to worry about, whatever it is that that leads you to fear, take it to God. Let it be a prompt to pray. Paul says, in every situation, whether it's big or small, whether you think it's spiritual or not, whatever it has to do with in your life, pray about it because God hears your prayers and God answers your prayers. Now, Paul specifically talks about two forms of prayer that we should practice. He talks about petition and thanksgiving. And a second one, thanksgiving might be kind of surprising to you. You might think, why would I give thanks, especially if I'm struggling with anxiety? I mean, when I'm anxious, I don't feel like I have anything to be thankful for, but you do. You always do. You have so much to be thankful for regardless of the circumstances. Go back to the last thing we talked about, choosing joy daily. I mean, think about it. God's grace is unending, amen? Therefore, your thanksgiving should be unending. God's mercy is ongoing. Who's experienced God's mercy already today? Would you just lift your hand for a moment? You know it. Therefore, your thanksgiving should be ongoing. So you give thanks for the things in your life that you know God is doing, and and you give thanks for the things in your life that you can't even see. Do you realize God is working in your life all the time and you don't even know? In John 5, Jesus says the Father is always at work. God is working in your life in so many ways. There are so many gifts that he gives. James 1 says, every good gift comes uh, from the Father above, the Father of lights. We have so many gifts in our lives. So let us not be a people who have gifts from God just laying all around us and we've not given thanks for those gifts. You know, if you knew, if you knew all that God was doing in your life all the time, if you could see all of it, become aware of all of it, you would never stop worshiping, never stop giving thanks because it is so very much. And so let anxiety be a prompt to pray and give thanks. Paul also says we should pray prayers of petition and this is simply, petition is simply making requests of God. It's just asking God to do things, to give things. I mean, this is probably the kind of praying we we most readily do. 
There's a few of us sometimes who try to be more spiritual than Jesus. Maybe sometimes you find yourself thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm just gonna thank God. I'm not gonna ask him for anything. I mean, it's not about me. Like, are you more spiritual than Jesus, do you think? I mean, Jesus commands you to ask. Right here, Paul calls you to ask. And, and if you won't ask, you're forgetting that God is a father who loves you and who loves to give his children good gifts. He, he loves when his children come to him and ask things of him. And so whatever is going on in your life, pray about it in every situation, Paul says. Pray about mental health. Pray about racial trauma. Pray about financial struggles. Pray about strained relationships. Pray about your loneliness. Pray about politics. Pray about the pandemic. Pray about your fears. Pray about your doubts. Pray about your suffering. Just pray about everything. Amen? And if you do that, you're gonna grow in peace. That's the promise of verse seven where Paul writes, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's that peace and some of you have experienced it recently, that peace that you have where you don't understand why you have it, right? You look at your life and what you're facing, what you're going through, but you're at peace. And you're sometimes finding yourself thinking, I don't even know how I'm at peace because it transcends your understanding, because it's supernatural, it comes from God. And if you've never had that happen before in your life, God wants you to experience that kind of peace. It'll guard your heart and guard your mind. Here's the fourth way that we can grow in peace. Feed your mind intentionally. Verse eight says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And, and I've used this image of feeding our minds because I think it resonates with, with us. We're supposed to be intentional about this. And it's such a contrast. Some of us are so vigilant about the foods we feed our bodies, organic, you know, no sugar, just good carbs, healthy natural proteins, on and on and on. And at the same time, we eat like that and we feed our minds a diet of flaming hot Cheetos, chicken nuggets, and Red Bull. And we wonder why we don't have peace. The Bible's so clear, whatever you feed your mind deeply shapes your whole life. And if you think about it, that's pretty frightening for us in 2021, isn't it? I just wanna ask you, you have to be honest with yourself, and some of us are dishonest with ourselves. We won't admit it to ourselves. What are you filling your mind with? Especially over this last year of pandemic, and. And so many of us have been sucked into filling our minds with the content that comes from all our devices, streaming devices, social media, the news. And, and, and you know, you get that report, right? <laughs> you get that report. You know when my report shows up? My report shows up usually when I'm preaching and you can't see it. It's the report about weekly, how much time, call it the report of shame, I always think it's a report of lies. That can't have happened. There's no way I, I didn't do that. It actually just showed up here, you know, turn it, phone over. I don't want to think about it. But you get that report, don't you? And Paul says, think about things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely. 
And we have to be honest and acknowledge that our current media producing systems are not bent towards those things. Nobody at any of the networks, nobody at any of the tech companies, nobody has Philippians 4.8 on their walls dictating what they do. Now, probably are some people who work for those companies that try, but that's not what drives them. And so we need to be aware of and we need to be alert to, you know, how uh, technology is designed, what social media is designed to do, how sitting in front of a screen of any kind impacts us. We need to be aware of what it's about. And as your pastor, (laughs) one of my fears is that is that some of you are more discipled by CNN or by Fox News, that some of you are more formed by social media than by the scriptures, that, that some of you have a worldview that honestly is shaped primarily by Netflix and Hulu and sitcoms and talk shows that you consume, podcasts that you listen to, And so we've got to feed our minds intentionally with the kinds of things that Paul is describing um, in these verses. And I just want to tell you, five minutes a day reading a handful of Bible verses will never compensate for two to three to four to five to six or seven, yes, hours for some of us, of social media and internet scrolling and video games and Netflix and Hulu and whatever else it is that you are gorging your mind on. You are losing the battle for peace because you're supplying and you're resupplying and you're resupplying again the enemies of your peace and you're doing it for hours and hours and hours every day. 2 Corinthians 10 calls us to take every thought captive for Christ. Romans 12 talks about how we will be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And and so when I talk about focusing on things like this, we need to be intentional. And I want to be clear. You know, I mean, I use technology. Um, I, I use most of those things that I've mentioned I consume things from most of those sources that I've mentioned. I'm not talking about, you know, digging a hole and sticking your head in it. I'm not talking about, you know, trying to escape from the the ugliness and the suffering we see in this world. But I am talking about feeding our minds intentionally in such a way that in. I watched a video recently of a scene in Beirut from, from last summer. Maybe you saw it back then. There's been so much devastation there, just incredibly heartbreaking. And there had just been a bombing. And this video was taken inside an apartment of an elderly woman whose home had just been bombed. And there's wreckage everywhere. Everything in this room is just rubble, shattered glass, all kinds of things. And this elderly woman goes back into her home and her piano was still there. And she sits down and she begins to play. And it was just this beauty in the midst of chaos. And that's the kind of focus God's calling us to. Beauty, truth, nobility in the midst of chaos. But you got to eat it on purpose. You've got to feed your mind intentionally. 
Paul, Paul concludes this section in verse nine. Really, this is kind of a section that sums it all up. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I just wanna say to you here, nothing we've talked about this morning, none of these four ways to grow peace in your life can happen if you don't do what Paul has been saying. You gotta practice. You gotta actually obey you, you gotta actually do what the Bible tells you to do. I mean, how many of you sometimes realize my real problem is not that I don't understand enough from what God's word teaches. My real problem is I'm not doing nearly enough of the stuff that I do understand. Anybody wanna make a confession? Good for the soul. <laughs> Put it into practice. Become deliberate about this. Make, make, make your life a, a life of spiritual habits that are healthy and solid, spiritual disciplines. That's so important always, but how much more now? And, and maybe, maybe you've slid away from that. Maybe the stress of this last year, you've backtracked from a place you used to be. Here's the thing. If that's you, today's the day. Get back and start again. Put it into practice I wanna give you a question that I wanna leave you with, just, just one thing to think about, and you can, you can do this, you can talk about it in your life group. What is one change that you can intentionally make about how you're feeding your mind? Now, you could extend that to any of the other three things, but I started there. But what is one change that you can make? See, if you begin to do what God is telling you to do through the inspired words of the Apostle Paul, you're going to have Peace. You're gonna grow in peace. And I wanna just summarize what we've seen in this passage. See, God can give you peace. We, we've talked about these four ways to grow in peace. But what I wanna leave you with, the last thing I wanna leave you with, it's there, and maybe you'll skip over it, is while we've talked a lot about the peace of God, maybe you notice Paul ends verse nine by talking about the God of peace. The God of peace. You see, peace isn't just something God gives us. Here's a deeper truth. Write it down, feed on it, live with it today, tomorrow, forever. God is our peace. And maybe you need to hear this today because there's a danger we all face and that is the danger of how easy it is for us to just want stuff from God. Like I want peace and I want mercy and I want God's love. We want the gift so much sometimes we forget about the giver. So if you're anxious, look to the Lord, not just to give you peace, but because he is your peace. And as you do that, remember that the peace of God comes at a great cost. In Colossians 1, it talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is our maker, our sustainer, our redeemer. It says in Colossians 1.20 that he makes peace through the blood of the cross. And it's through his love that he conquers hate and hostility. Through his love and his death that he gives us life. It is by his body being broken that we are made whole. And that is a gift of God's grace. So trust trust in Christ and experience not just the peace of God, but experience the God of peace. And then take that peace and go out into this world 
as a peacemaker, as a peacemaker, God gives you his peace so you can share that peace with others in your world. You know, if you're not experiencing peace, you can be honest about it with God. That's what this passage is all about. Talk to him about it. Take to him the problems in your life, the things that are keeping you from peace, and he will help you grow in peace. He will make you more like Jesus by giving you the power of his spirit. And through these things, as you walk with him, you will experience peace. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?